0: VIEW family, welcome home.
1: The VIEW is a place of real and imperfect people coming together to worship the real and perfect God.
0: We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And our mission is to make his name known in the city of Memphis.
1: No matter what you've been through, no matter where you've come from, you belong here.
0: Here at The View, we are training up believers to be bold enough to use their voice for the gospel.
1: Since Christ died for the sins of the world, since He gave up His life for us, we're called to give up our lives for Him.
0: In other words, it's not about me anymore.
1: This semester, we're going to talk about love, a word that's thrown around so casually.
0: But what does true, sacrificial love look like? How do we live in it, and how do we show it to others?
1: we need to look to the one who sacrificed his life for us. This is real love.
0: Amen, amen, amen. Welcome back to The View. We are so excited to see you on this Monday evening. Hey, joining me tonight to provide a fresh perspective and answer some questions tonight is Jasmine Duguid. Make some noise for Jazz. Yes.
1: Yeah, so um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Jasmine. I moved here in May officially. Um, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. I am now two weeks into being the women's college director.
0: Thank you for being here tonight. Very excited. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to Mark chapter 12. I hope that you're taking notes tonight. There's a good amount that I want you to walk away with tonight. Mark chapter 12. Now, as you're turning there, I want you to imagine just for a moment, level with me. Imagine for a moment that right through those doors, everybody else in here vanishes. It's just you. And right through those doors, a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi walks in. I'll say it again. Jesus wasn't white. For Some of you think Jesus was white. Jesus was not white. Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi. Imagine that a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi walked in these doors right now. And it's Jesus Christ flesh now we know that the spirit of God is in this room we know that Jesus is here but imagine in the flesh he walked in this room and he came up to you and you were face to face with him imagine that for a moment this is what I want to ask you if you had that face-to-face moment with Jesus and you could ask any question and get an answer back what question would you ask And really think about it. Don't give me a church answer like, oh, Jesus, you know, how can I be sanctified more? Like, for real, what would you ask if you can know anything? Some of you like, oh, I'd ask about, you know, the seven days of creation and all these kind of twisted questions and stuff. What would you really ask? Whatever that question is, I want you to write it down in your notes. You got notes? You got your iPad? You got your iPhone? Whatever you got. I want you to write down that question and just think about it for a moment. What question would you ask? Because I know the question I would ask. I would look Jesus in the face. I ask him this in my prayers. I would say, Jesus, do you really know me? You really know me and all my faults and all my flaws, and you still choose every day to forgive me and love me and use me? That's what I would ask Jesus, knowing the answer. What would you ask him? See, a scribe, what we're going to see tonight is that a scribe had this opportunity. A scribe comes face to face with Jesus, and he has this moment where he gets to ask Jesus a question. And he comes face to face with Jesus. What we're going to see tonight is he asked Jesus a fantastic question. He comes to Jesus and he asks him, he says, Jesus, which of the commands is the greatest of all? Isn't that a great question? Think about it. I don't know what you wrote down, but essentially he's asking Ashley, hey, Jesus, if I could spend my life doing anything, what would you say I should do? Jesus, of all the 613 commands that we find, which one do you say is the most valuable? Jesus, of my time and my schedule and my money, everything, if I could use it best in this one life I'm given on this earth, how would you say I would use it? Isn't that a great question? Now, you would expect Jesus, for anyone who's read the Gospels, you know as well as I do, Jesus loves to respond to a question with a what? A question. That's right, we're responsive tonight. I love to hear from you guys. He loves to ask a question when he just got asked a question. But he doesn't do that. Some of us in the room might think that Jesus would respond, hey, all of them. (laughs) Right? Like, hey, all the commands are worthy. Follow all of them the most. They're the greatest. No, he, he doesn't respond that way. He looks the scribe in the eye. You're familiar with this passage. And he tells the scribe, this is exactly what he says. Here is the greatest command. Are you ready? Make your bed in the morning. Nope. Build a social media platform that will glorify your name. Nope. Work out every day and get those muscles. Get the biggest gains you can get. Nope. Nope, Salsa. (laughs) No matter how hard you try it, don't say that. Wear hipster clothes, get a journal, show up at a college ministry, and have friends. Nope. Working out's not bad. College ministry ain't bad. No, he looks at the scribe. This is what he says. He says, here's the greatest command. To love God. All across the room. I can see you all the way in the back. We're pushed to the wall. Praise God for that. Let me have your eyes right here. He says the greatest command is to love God. Not your mom, not your dad, not your friends, not your social media following, but God. All those things are important. But he says the greatest command is to love the Lord your God, and he gives four things with all your, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Quoting in Deuteronomy. And then in Jesus' fashion, he, he follows it up with the second greatest command that we're going to see tonight. He doesn't just give him the first, he gives them, hey, here's the second one. That's how Jesus rolls. You ask for one thing, sometimes Jesus will bless you with even more than what you asked for. I won't just give you number one, I'll give you number two. I'm setting you up to succeed here. And here's why what we're going to see tonight is if you get loving God down, most everything else in your life will come into place. See, how in the world can you set out, Jordan, to love your mom and dad if you're not first loving God? You have to love God. He loves you. That love is inside of you. And then you take it to the people in your life. See, that's where people in ministry miss it. We're off chasing flowers, trying to love the world, but we have not loved Jesus Christ first. Greatest thing you can do is love the Lord your God, of all 613. I love this quote, this will be on the screen right here by Billy Graham. He said that talking about God can become dreary and lackluster if God isn't in you. In other words, when you get tired of talking about God, when you get tired of talking about scripture, when you get tired of talking about Jesus, it might be because there's an absence of that love deep inside of you. And I wrote this down because there's a lot of us in the room who are struggling to really live for God. I want you to understand this very clearly. When you struggle to live for God, that's because there is an attack on your love for God. When you are struggling to live for God, it's because there is an attack on your love for God. It's right here on the screen. Sometimes that attack comes from the enemy. we got to understand tonight, sometimes... The devil, sometimes demons are plaguing you and tempting you and attacking you, trying to take away your love. Sometimes that attack is just our own flesh being enticed by the desires of this world, being drawn to the the lights and the sin and all these things, and it's pulling our love from God. I want you to know something. When the devil wants to prevent you from action for God, he'll try to rob you of your affection for God. Amen. 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 He will keep you from action for God if he can take away your affection for God. And here's the thing. He doesn't have to get you to hate God to stop living for him. He's just got to get you to feel indifferent about God. Did you hear that? Where's Harmony? See she in here? He doesn't have to get you to hate God if he could just get you to feel indifferent about God. See, that's how the devil ruins marriages, Delaney. He doesn't get you to hate your spouse. He just gets you to feel indifferent about your spouse until you take that affection you once had for them and transfer it over to somebody else See, once you take the affection that you once have for your husband and your wife and transfer it over to somebody else, boom, the devil can ruin a marriage. Watch this. The moment he can take the affection that you have for God and transfer it to the sins of this world, that's the definition of idolatry, and he can rob you of your action and your affection for the Lord Jesus. Has anybody ever experienced that before? I have. There's an attack on your love for God. So here's my question, Allie. In a world that is... Begging for every ounce of your love, for everything. TikTok, movies, fashion, people, Christian culture itself. Christian culture didn't die on the cross for your sins, Jesus did. There's a lot of us that worship Christian culture more than we worship the Jesus of that Christianity. (laughs) That's not in my notes. He is attacking your love for God. How do we give all of our love for God? At the top of your notes, I would love for you to write down our title tonight. It is it's not a request. It's not a request. As we look at the greatest commandment, we have to understand this is not a request of the Lord Jesus. This is a command. Now, when you study the teachings of Jesus, you'll realize that he quoted from Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Torah. When he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, in Luke chapter 4, he quoted From Deuteronomy, chapter 6, he quoted from Deuteronomy all three times, not just from chapter 6, but all three times in that text, he quoted from Deuteronomy when he was uh, withstanding the attacks of the enemy. When the devil tried to attack his love and loyalty for the Father, he came back with Scripture. And not just that, in our passage tonight that we're going to look at in Mark chapter 12, he's going to quote Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. This is known as the Shema. This is what's very crucial in Jewish culture. You remember last week we talked about Jewish culture. Some of you were locked in with me. Some of you were falling asleep. Will, I'm just kidding. I didn't see you falling asleep last week. We talked about Jewish culture last week. Some of you are like, man, he put me on the spot. I don't want to fall asleep in this sermon. I might get my name called up. I won't bring you up here. I promise. He's quoting from the Shema. And this is a crucial text in Jewish culture. Here's what's fascinating. This was the first culture that a Jewish boy or girl would learn. And it was the last scripture on their lips when they would die. They would say this three times a day. You remember Daniel. He would pray three times a day. They would recite this three times a day. Every morning and at night, they would recite this scripture. This scripture holds a lot of weight. It's very important. And this is the scripture that Jesus is going to quote tonight. And also what's very fascinating, Robbie Galaxy argues this. Jesus was Jewish. There's no reason to believe he would not have done the same thing. There's no reason to believe Jesus would not have recited this scripture, this command in the morning and at night. There's there's really no reason to doubt that he would have since he was Jewish, but that's beside the point. Look with me if you can at Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked him, here it is, which command is the most important of all? We'll keep that right there. Think about that for a moment, college students. In a time of your life where you are searching so desperately for your purpose and your calling and what you're supposed to do, he asked this question, Which is the, what is most important of all the things the Old Testament teaches? Which is the most important? I think our generation has missed what's most important because of distractions and discouragement. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Verse 32, it gets fascinating here. Look at this. Then the scribe said to him, look at this response. You want to see someone that's close to having it all figured out, starting to piece it together, Kat? Look at this. Look at what the scribe says. This is so cool. The Bible starts to come to life. How many of you get excited reading the word of God? Amen. Look, let me tell you something, man. There is this false belief, coming down here early. There is this false belief amongst Christians that reading the word of God is boring. Do you remember last week how we talked about context and setting, Victoria? You remember that? It's, you struggle, it's boring when you don't understand what's going on around the passage you're trying to read. If you're flipping through the Bible and you just try to point and say, this is my word for the day, you're going to struggle. When you get on a reading plan... How many of you have ever played a sport? Raise your hand. Right? How many of you have ever been in a book club, ever been in any kind of team, anything? What you do is you put disciplines in place to achieve your goal. You put disciplines into place. As a basketball player, I had to have disciplines into place if I wanted to see growth in my life. Guess what? It's not being a legalist to say that you need discipline in your walk with Jesus. With my wife, I have check-in points. I have times where I check in with my wife and I ask intentional questions and she asks me intentional questions too, such as, Daniel, how many times have you gone to Huey's this week? You need to chill. All our money's going to Cheese Tots. We check in with each other. Let me tell you something. If you don't have a reading plan when it comes to scripture, if you don't have disciplines in place, how are you expecting to grow in your relationship with God? Here's what's amazing. When you put disciplines into place and you have a reading plan and you start reading the word and you start understanding it, It starts coming to life. God starts speaking to your soul. It's not just an academic book. It's the word of God, and it's how he is communicating truth to you. The Bible comes to life right here in this moment. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. Which, first off, Jesus doesn't need anybody to tell him he's right. He's right. He is truth because he is truth. He doesn't need us to say that back to him. That's nice, but Jesus doesn't need that. Just say that for a minute. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. Look at verse 33. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, look at this, is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Pause right there. My goodness gracious. Now, we're going to see Jesus' response here in a minute. Do you know what he's saying? All these animal sacrifices that have gone on for years in the Old Testament, all the blood that was shed for sin was all a picture. It was all a picture that there must be a payment for sin. There must be blood for sin. See, we have broken God's commands. We have sinned. It's not popular. It's truth that we have sinned. You can't tell me you've never told a lie. You can't. And because of that, throughout the Old Testament, God was teaching us, Zach, the value of substitution, of animals going in place and their blood running to represent the forgiveness of sins. Now watch this. What he says is, hey, all those burnt offerings, all those sacrifices, they really don't mean anything if there's not a repentant heart. Let me apply that to 2021. You can show up at a college ministry. You can show up at church. You can do all the right things externally. But until you are having a heart of repentance internally, it's not counting for what you want it to count for. That's what he says. He says, if my heart's not in it, what am I slaughtering a cow for? What am I slaughtering a ram for? What am I slaughtering anything for? What am I showing up for if my heart is not in it? Can I ask you a question? Where's your heart tonight? Did you show up here with a heart that's hard, that's cold, that's bitter? Did you walk in the door with a heart that's ready to know the God who created you? What kind of heart did you walk in with tonight? I have to ask myself the same question. He says all of it. All of it doesn't mean anything. And then verse 34 is so fascinating. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely... You think about Ephesians 5 that tells us to live as wise people, not unwise. Jesus saw that he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I get excited reading the word of God. It's my life. Let me tell you something. How would you love Jesus to look you in the face and say, you are not far from the kingdom of God? I guess I'm talking to an empty room again, man. There's no band for me to talk to. I ask again, how would you love for Jesus to look at you and say, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven, my friend? Would you like that? (laughs) Guess what it takes? A humble, repentant heart. Not a platform, not networking, not money. Doesn't take any of that. It takes a humble, repentant heart, and He will use you. The last thing Jesus says right here, He says, Oh, it says, and no one dared to question Him any longer. They said, Hey, let me take a step back because this ain't going to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you. And Lord, we just pray that as we answer questions and look through what it means to truly love you, that you would pour out your spirit on this place. Mm -hmm. Father God, we pray right now that you would bind the enemy by the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the word of God, and the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Father, thank you for all these college students here, Lord. I, I pray that you would help them to be encouraged, be convicted, be called to repent, be called to action tonight, and myself included. Lord, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And we're going to talk through four questions tonight. And the first one is this. Number one, do you love God with all your heart? The first question is this. Do you love God with all your heart? Now, he starts with the heart. And what's fascinating about this is that the Bible mentions the heart. Are you ready for this? It mentions the heart almost 1,000 times. That's how important this is. It mentions it almost 1,000 times. And the definition that I found that I love for heart, when you're talking about this aspect, is that the heart, and you can write this down, this won't be on the screen, but the heart is the spiritual part of us where our emotions and desires dwell. It's where our emotions and our desires dwell. It's where they reside in you. You think about all all the emotions you experience today. Think about the emotion of waking up early when your alarm went off and you had school to do today. You think about the emotion of when somebody cut you off in traffic or when they came into the bank and started talking mean to you or when you served them at a restaurant because you're a waiter or a waitress and somebody was nice to you. Think about the emotion you experienced there. Let me tell you something. God gave us emotions and desires because they come from his nature. God has emotions and desires. In fact, look at Acts 13, 22. Daniel, I don't believe you. Okay, here's Acts 13, 22. It tells us when it's talking about David, after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. This is an incredible verse of Scripture. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. Let's keep this on the screen for a minute. After my own heart. God says that David was a man after his own heart. And then look at this who will carry out all my will. A man after my own heart, who will carry out all my will. I don't know about y'all, but when I read the Bible, I see a lot of the word all. You ever see a lot of the word all? See, what's happening here is there's this truth that God's trying to communicate to you, Julia, that when you are living in a way that all of your emotions and desires are chasing after God, a reflection of that is that you will desire and then live out and carry out all of God's will. Now what does that mean, Daniel? Watch this. That means that this whole claiming to love God with all our heart but only obeying Him half of the time is not going to fly. It means you cannot claim to love God with all. I'm not saying you're perfect, but it means that you cannot say, I love God with all my heart, but I'm not willing to carry out all of his will. Which is what we often do. We often want to claim that we are in love with God, but we don't want to obey him with all of our heart. Not part of his will and part of yours. All. Everybody say the word all with me. All. I think four people said it. Thank you guys right up here in the front. Let's say all together. Here we go. All. All. But what we want to do is we want to cut the pie in half. We want to take the pie, we want to cut it in half, and we want to say, this is my will, this is God's will. I'm willing to give God this section, but I'm not giving God this section. And God's not going to fly for that. See, there has to be a change in your heart. I want you to understand something. Life change begins with heart change. There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. There's no cutting corners. You see grace being baptized tonight. That's because life change begins with heart change. And the big problem that we're facing in America is we have a lot of Christians trying to live for God who have yet to really fall in love with God. I'm here. We got a lot of us that are trying to live for God, yet we have not fallen in love with God yet. The life change you're seeking has to begin with your heart change. It has to begin. I heard a pastor talk about his earthly father. You think about your dad for a minute, your mom for a minute, your parents. I don't know what kind of home life you came in with tonight. What I do know is that everybody has a home life. Some of us grew up in foster care. Some of us grew up with great parents. Some of us come from divorce homes. Some of us saw our mom and our dad drink themselves almost to death. Some of us heard cuss words before we ever heard encouragement. Some of us got great homes, have been taught the word of God from, from five years old and literally are without excuse. Some of us went to VBS every year since we came out the womb. Remember that John 316 tune I sang last week? Some of y'all knew it too. We got all kind of home lives in this room, all kind of them. Some of us were singing in the choir. Some of us been on drugs, addicted to all kind of things, pills and medicine and marijuana. I mean, you got it all. You got it all in this room. And I don't want to pretend to know your home life. But what I do want to tell you is oftentimes when there is a breakdown in our earthly father or mother, we project that breakdown onto our heavenly father. And man, you hear that? It's because when you talk about family, it's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Some of you in here are like, man, what did I show up to? <laughs> like, this guy's getting into family. He's talking about mom and dad, and I am. And here's the reason why. Watch this. This pastor talked about the fact that his earthly dad was not good to him. Used to beat him. Used to beat him all the time. He said, I don't want to mess his words up. He said that his goal with his dad, watch this, his goal with his dad was to avoid being annoying to upset him. That's what he said. He said, my goal every day was to wake up and avoid upsetting my dad. He said he carried that over to his relationship with God for years. He said he viewed his heavenly father the exact same way, Corey, that he viewed his earthly, his, heavenly, his earthly father. All the attributes, all the sin, everything. He took all that salsa, all that lack of vulnerability, all that lack of intimacy that he had with his dad. And he projected it onto God, not realizing that even if your earthly dad is not one of intimacy, God is still a father of intimacy. But he, for years, projected that onto God. And what he did is, he said that my win with God for years was to do the same thing I did with my dad. I just didn't want to annoy him. I just didn't want to upset God with my sin. I just tried to stay out of the way. It was a guilt trip. He said he truly did not love God. And oftentimes we think loving God with our heart is just trying not to upset him. We think that loving God is doing More good than bad and just trying to stay out of his way and just trying to check a box. And really we think if I can just do a little bit more godly than I can ungodly, maybe he won't take me out. We think God just tolerates us. This pastor said word for word, when I became a father myself, all of that changed. See, ain't none of us in here parents yet. Some of you might be, praise God. But he said, when I became a father myself, all of that changed. I had a daughter and I love her with everything in me. My favorite thing was seeing her run down the driveway with a smile on her face when I came home from work. That's love. He said that he didn't just love his daughter When she did something for him, he loved his daughter at all times. And when his daughter would run to his arms, he loved that and he would smile. He didn't just tolerate his daughter. He's madly in love with his daughter. Can I tell you a great truth that you need to hear tonight? God is not just tolerating you. He's madly in love with you. He's not just putting up with you. He's not just saying, oh, here goes Daniel again. No, he loves you. He doesn't love everything you do. He does not love your sin, but he loves you. And what's amazing about that driveway illustration, in the same way this pastor love when his daughter ran to his arms with a smile on her face. Let me tell you something. God loves when you run to his word. God loves when you run and fall face down and get into prayer. He loves it. He loves when you love him. He loves you. Have you fallen in love with that God yet? He loves you so much that he didn't leave you in your sin. He sent Jesus down to die on the cross for every sin you've ever committed. And Jesus didn't stay dead. A lot of people have died for good causes. I could go out and die for an old woman tomorrow, push her out of the way of a bus and jump in front of it. I'm not coming back from the dead because I'm not the son of God. Jesus died your death, my death, and then he rose from the grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What you have to do, and it's technical, what you have to do is you have to change your mindset. Watch this. You do this, it'll change your life, change mine. Your quiet time, your prayer. You have to stop looking at it as you Climbing up to meet with God and realizing it's God coming down to meet with you. Wow. You see the difference in that? One is a staff meeting. (laughs) One is a workout. One is a burden. You're climbing up so that I can go meet with God and then come back down and fulfill my orders that the king gave me. The other one is the king left the castle. He left the throne, came down to be with you. (laughs) I can't not get excited about it. He loves me and he loves you. The hard part is we think he just tolerates us. I got to keep going. I love this quote. And you can write this down. I've said it before. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's why we have emotions. That's why we have desires. If we're honest, though, and we're just talking tonight, we're just having a conversation. I know some of you are like, man, then you get a little loud for a conversation. (laughs) If you did this at a restaurant, I'd leave the table. (laughs) Does he do this with everybody? You say, yes. (laughs) I want to ask you a question when it comes to our emotions. Most days, we don't let God run our emotions because we're letting our emotions run us. I'm serious, PJ. A lot of times, God's not running our emotions because we're letting our emotions run us. When Scripture talks about the heart, when it talks about your emotions and desires, like I know it's great to talk about the smile and everything, but we got to get real too. Look at Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? It's not talking about heart disease. It's not talking about you ate a whole lot of burgers and your heart is unhealthy. It's talking about your emotions and your desires are naturally sinful. Who can cure it? Who can understand it? Only the Lord. And then Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. An amazing verse. Both of these are amazing to memorize. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It is the source of life. And I want to tell you something tonight, college students. The way that you worship the Lord with your emotions is by waking up every single day and submitting those desires, submitting everything in you to God. You wake up. You get on the floor, beside your bed, at the foot of your bed. And right there, before you start your day, Delaney, you lay your emotions and your desires at God's feet and say, hey, these worship you. My emotions, my desires were made to worship you. And here's why. If you don't, here's what's going to happen. If your emotions don't bow in worship to God, you will bow in worship to your emotions. Either your emotions bow to God or you will bow to your emotions. And we know people like that. We know when we're like that, when we're emotion driven and the emotions are steering the ship. Emotions are not bad, but they are a bad driver. (laughs) I tell you something, they're good to have in the car, but they're not a good driver. If they're in the driver's seat, you are in trouble tonight. God wants your emotions to bow in worship to him. I want to tell you very quickly what kind of heart God looks for. Because scripture tells us very clearly. When Jesus was entering the world as a baby in Luke chapter 2, there were shepherds in the field tending the sheep. And on that dark night, what's so amazing is a bright light came. And all of a sudden, it came out of nowhere. And an angel came to these shepherds. This is so cool. Came to these shepherds with an amazing announcement to the most unlikely men. Watch this. When Jesus came to the world, the angel came to shepherds. Here's what's amazing. Have you ever thought about how incredible it is that God chose to send the arrival of his son to shepherds? Have you ever thought about that before? How incredible it is that he would come to shepherds, that he would literally send the announcement to them. Let me give you some perspective. When a child is born to a member of British royalty, they don't send messengers down to the fishing dock, Cole. When a child is born to a member of British royalty, they're not letting the taxi cab drivers know with golden envelopes. They're not going to those people. No, what they do is they they literally go to, where is it, right here? They send golden-sealed invitations to the political leaders of the United Nations. Super Bowl's coming up this Sunday, and watch this. Who are you inviting to your Super Bowl party? Probably under 10 since COVID's going on. (laughs) With masks required, no food. Who are you inviting? Friends, family, the people that you love, people that you know. We're not going to Kroger to ask the checkout cashier if he wants to come and watch the Super Bowl with us. We're not inviting people in that are below us. We're inviting people that are equal to us. That's what we do as humans. We struggle with this. And the media, they document every single moment that the child is born into British royalty. What's amazing is the God of creation announced the arrival of his son Jesus, and he didn't inform them with golden invitations. I wrote this down. There was no grand parade of national media. He didn't publicize the birth to the Pharisees, the elders described. No, God bypassed the upper society and went straight to the lowly shepherds. I'll tell you this, biblical scholar Dwight, Dwight Pryor says that shepherds were detestable and unreliable. Sometimes they couldn't even testify in court. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. The only people lower than shepherds were lepers. When Jesus came to earth, He didn't enter royal courts. He was born in the caves. No scholars, no scribes, just shepherds. And can I tell you why? It's because God is teaching us a lesson that every single one of us in this room got to know. Here it is on the screen. God often bypasses a prideful heart in search of a humble heart. (laughs) He will bypass those of the upper society and go straight to the shepherds. He will go to you. You say, Daniel, I have no platform. I have no, I'm not built up. I'm just a college student. I'm broke. I ain't got no money. I ain't got no nice clothes. Who am I to be used by God? Let me tell you something. When you have a humble heart, there is no ceiling as to how God can use you. No ceiling. If he sent the announcement of his son to shepherds, he is sending his spirit to equip you for the sake of God of ministry. Isn't that amazing? James 4, chapter 6 brings this even more to life. He says, but God gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not only does he talk about the heart, though, he talks about the soul, Jazz.
1: I just think it's so incredible that God goes to the um, extent to break it down into pieces for us. So when he makes a command and he says, you need to love the Lord your God, he goes further. He says, with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And so there's clearly a reason why he breaks it down. Um, And as I was studying just over the past few weeks, it really, it became clear to me um, that if we're going to learn how to obey God's commandments fully, we need to understand what he's saying in scripture fully, which means taking more time, taking a greater effort to dig when it almost seems sort of par for the course. So when I was looking at the word soul, I was just like, I kind of, I thought I knew what that meant. That's just me. Um, but the more I looked at it, um, I was like, that's, it's just a deeper thing to explain. Scripture actually explains it like this. King David that Daniel was talking about explains it. Um, he says in Psalm 103:1, 1, praise the Lord. O my soul, all my inmost being praise his holy name. And he describes it as his inner man, his inner self, his inmost being. Um, and David, like Daniel also just said, knew and loved the Lord with his heart. He was a man after God's own heart, and he also knew in his soul who God was. Uh, the Hebrew word for soul, I did some more digging, is nefesh. I don't know. I think that's the way to say it. It's nefesh, and it's defined as someone's self, their life, so it kind of, it just coincides. It's yourself or your life, Um, And it dictates the activity of your mind, the activity of your will, and the activity of your character. So basically, like, while the heart is your emotions, they're what drive your reactions to things, they're what drive how how you respond to people, people responding to you, this is what makes you you. Um, so that's just kind of crazy. And the more I thought about it, you know, we're friends. Like, with my girlfriends, I say some of them are my soulmates. Like, these are the girls who know me the deepest. They know a lot about me. We've probably grown up together. Um, if you have a partner, if you're married, you can say, I found my soulmate. They're the person who knows you and still loves you. So clearly your soul is basically what encompasses who you are at the core. Um and this is my first point. This is what the Lord kind of gave me. He said that God created us with a soul so that we can deeply, in our innermost being, magnify and express him. Like, there's no other way. There's no deeper way to magnify and express him than with our souls. And that's a command, which is crazy. So uh, in Luke 1, through 47, Mary, who's the mother of Jesus, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has exalted in God, my savior. Notice she is a woman who's found favor (laughs) with the Lord (laughs) because she bore his son. And so she says in her inmost being, in her inner woman, she magnifies the Lord. And I just think that's crazy. Um, So how can we, you know, how can we get to this level? Because it's a command. We got to get there. Uh, So, as I was praying, the Lord just gave me this story, and it's out of the Old Testament, um, and it's the story of three young men, and I think it's applicable because they're about our age. Uh, So, if you'll turn in your Bibles, it's Daniel 3, 4 through 25. Super cool. So, a lot of us have probably heard this story before. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these were three men who, they were Jews, um, they had come from Ju- Judah, and he, they'd been brought over to the city of Babylon um, because they were captives. Uh, but they were smart. They were wise. Um, and the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar at the time, found favor with them. Um, and I would argue it's because they knew the Lord. Honestly, y'all, like when you know the Lord, you're you have greater wisdom. You have the discernment of the Holy Spirit. So the king saw that gave them authority. (laughs) He put them as princes of provinces in Babylon, which is crazy because they were technically in exile. So he gave them all this authority. um, And the king, things are going well. It's the seventh year of his reign. And then the king, this is my translation, but he starts to get hype. And he's starting to see his power. Um, And Babylon is essentially a world power at this time, similar to the way that America is viewed now in the West where basically we set a lot of standards, and Babylon set a lot of standards, so the king himself was looked to and highly regarded. Um, So he gets it in his mind that he is going to set up this golden image, literally just this golden image of himself in the middle of Babylon, and he's gonna call all the people around him, all of his magistrates, all of his judges, and everyone that basically he has authority over to come and bow um, to this image. So, Daniel 3 3 says, So, um, how do you say this, Daniels? <laughs> say drafts. Say drafts. Prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, all the rulers of the provinces, this includes the boys, assembled for the dedication of the statue that the king had set up. They stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Daniel 3 4. So, basically, what happens is someone proclaims with music or whatever, and then everyone is commanded to bow. They're commanded to bow to this thing. So far, I would say most people really don't have a problem with this. I mean, they, they love the king, they worship the king, he's not a bad guy, but scripture tells us this, that the boys, they knew in their hearts that they, with their souls and with their hearts and with their entire beings, worship the Lord and the Lord only. So we know what happens. If you know the story, the trumpet sounded, everyone bows, and there's three boys, there's three young men, and they are not bowing. They refuse to bow, I just think that's crazy. Um, So the king, he goes to them, and he reminds them, you need to bow. Now, there's a consequence with this that I didn't mention before. If you do not bow to this idol, to this golden image, there's this basically furnace of fire that the king has said, people will be thrown into if they disobey. And so he goes to the boys and he reminds them, he says, look, like if you don't do this, you're gonna be killed. You're gonna be killed, you're gonna be thrown into this fire, which is absolutely crazy. Um, And the boys, they said this, which is probably one of my favorite parts of this story. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, verse 16, replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer to this question. Basically, they, there's another translation, my NRV says, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. And I got to thinking about what Daniel said last week, and he explained how Jews, they live by actions, they live by doing, they don't live by saying. And I think the strongest statement that these boys knew how to make where they were saying, we don't even need to defend ourselves, you're going to see by our actions who we bow to. And that's their king. <laughs> that's the man who gave them authority. That's the man who gave them power. And I just think that's wild. And so directly after that, they say, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. But even if he does not rescue us, <laughs> we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. I just think that's crazy. They've just said, it does not matter if we're not saved. Um, so I, I would say that the boys knew that their bodies and their physical lives were not worth saving in comparison to the love that they knew in their souls that they had for the Lord. They knew that their souls were going to go on and be with the God that they served, regardless of what happened to their physical bodies. And to me, that's strength. That's real love. That's real love for the Lord. Um, so this like the king hears this and scripture says that he became enraged. He was mad. He was mad. Um, and so he says, verse 19, the king's attitude toward the boys changed. At this point, he was all about them. He was fine. They were working for him. King's attitude changed. I want to ask y'all, raise your hand if you've ever had someone's attitude toward you change. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) If you're a people pleaser like me, you don't like that, but I would say this, when you act out of obedience to the Lord, there will be, it's not an if, it's a when, there will be people around you whose attitude towards you changes. Because you're not bowing not only to them, you're not bowing to the society that we live in. We're not bowing to things that say, uh, we need to be this person, we need to be that person, we need to be friends with her, or we don't need to be friends with him. We don't bow to those things, we bow to the Lord. And so the people around you who are in that, unfortunately, they just might have to leave you behind and that hurts sometimes. But that's what it looks like when we love God with our souls. And I said, Christians, we cannot allow other people's opinions of us to define how we obey God. We just can't. We can't. It's, and it's hard, but we can't. That's love. And it's a command to love the Lord. So the guys, they say this to the king, and they get bound and thrown into the fire. <laughs> and the crazy part of this is i got to stand up because this is the part that I love. So they get bound, they're tied up, And the imagery of the words is where I started to really get into this this week. They were bound and tied and they were thrown into the fire. And the king gathers his advisors around because ultimately he is here to witness the the demise of the people who dared to come against him. He was like, I'm just going to watch this happen because it probably made him feel good. Honestly, it probably made him mad. (laughs) But he's standing there watching and get this. I'm just going to read straight from my Bible it says where is it i'm so sorry <laughs> it's crazy yeah verse 24 yeah yeah he jumped up and over. yeah so king nebuchadnezzar this is my new note taking bible and it's all over the place but king nebuchadnezzar king nebuchadnezzar jumps up and he says did we not throw three men bound into this fire and the advisor said yes they affirmed that and the king said look again and he sees not three men but four, and they're all standing in the middle of the fire. And scripture says, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth man looked like the son of God standing next to them. And so this is where I just got chills because I realized this, y'all, when we act out of obedience to the Lord, because we are so confident in our souls that he is the God of our lives, we can be in our worst case scenarios. We can be in the situations that the people who don't like us want to be in, and we can be standing unbound, unharmed, and people will see the spirit and the presence of the living God standing next to us. That's the promise. That's the promise of what it looks like when we love God with all of our souls. And like Daniel talked about, it's not, (laughs) it's not a halfway thing. (laughs) We got to love him with all of us. It probably took everything that those boys had to say to the king, we're not going to defend ourselves. You can do what you want, but my soul is content in the Lord. If your soul loves God enough to take him at his word, you will experience something that is supernatural, and no earthly power can come between you and the Lord in that. But you've got to know him in your soul. You've got to know him. Supernatural things happens. You can be standing in your worst, and it doesn't even have to be your worst case scenarios. You can be standing in. You know, inconveniences. You can be standing in um, troubled relationships. You can be standing in tough family situations. You can be standing in hurt from your past. And you don't have to be bound by that. You can be standing in it and be unharmed. And then this is my favorite part the king, it was the king and all of his advisors were standing there watching. So he calls the boys out of the fire. He's like, Well, I mean, they're not dead, so we'll just get out. And they come out, and the king says, surely, like, you worship the real and the living God. And he becomes saved. And all of his his advisors are saved. I didn't even put this in my notes, but they told, the king told um, the rulers to tear down his statue. Idols fell, (laughs) you know? And this king got to live for a long time after that, where he allowed people to worship the living God because he saw the consequences of these three young men's love in their souls for the Lord, regardless of their physical body, so that's really, it was challenging to me, because I was like, Lord, I don't know, like, I just don't know if I could have that kind of faith, and he just got in my head, and he said, it's not a request, it's not a request, and so I think it's really sweet that he starts off with the heart, because the heart, you know, emotions, you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're brought into Accordance with the will of God and in your spirit, but once it starts coming to the physical things, that that gets a little more real, if that makes sense. So clearly, loving the Lord with all of your soul is important, but there's protection in that. That's it, that's mm-hmm. it.
0: Yep. Not only he talks about the heart, he talks about the soul, jazz, but you know he he breaks it down to He talks about the mind. Number three, do you love God with all of your mind? You talk about our heart, our emotions, desires. You talk about our soul, our innermost being, but what about the mind? Proverbs chapter 3, 5, a pivotal verse for any believer. You see this on coffee cups. You see this on t-shirts. You go into a Christian bookstore, you're promised to see this verse. And for good reason, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Can we read this together right here? Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Now, I want you to understand something. This is a very pivotal verse when you look at this verse, you see a transition from the heart to the mind. He says, "Love the Lord your God." He says, uh, "You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart." But there's a transition to the mind too, and I want you to understand this in your walk with Jesus. There's a desire for God, and this will be on the screen. I want you to write this down and think about it this week. God desires for you to love Him affectionately and intellectually. This is the desire that God has for you. He wants you to love him with your heart, and then he wants you to love him with your mind. And let's keep this on the screen for just a moment. There's a desire for you to grow in love for God in your heart and in your mind. And see, if we're honest tonight as college students, the battle for your mind is real, is it not? Man, even I just talk about the mind, everybody in this room knows exactly where we're going. Have any of you read Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen? Anybody read that book yet? There's a few across the room. My wife loves that book. I have not read it yet, but she says it's an amazing resource. Let me tell you something. The battle for your mind is real. Every single day you are battling for your mind. You are battling for the Lord to be the one who is controlling your thoughts. Because you know as well as I do, we have hundreds of thousands of thoughts a day. Have you ever been in a situation where a thought popped into your head and you have no idea where that thought came from? You ever been there? Let me ask you another one. I see all of you like raising, oh yeah, let me ask you this. Have you ever been like doing really well for a couple of hours, focusing on the Lord, focusing on scripture, and then all of a sudden, it's out of nowhere, a sinful thought will pop in your head. You ever been there? Man, look, we all get it. There's a battle for the mind. There is a battle at play for the mind. And God wants you to love him with your mind. Here's what I want you to understand. When you love God with your heart, but not your mind, watch this. When you love God, Hannah, with your heart but not your mind, you will begin to love a God who looks more like you than the God of the Bible. And here's why. Because when we don't know God's character, we often assume about God's character. And oftentimes our assumptions are wrong. I'll give you a great example. When I'm trying to lose weight and I'm trying to count calories, if I use my fitness pal, I know exactly what the calories are and how much I need to cut. But when I go into a restaurant I start trying to assume How much chicken, cheese, and rice is in calories? Somehow, my number's 400, and I look it up, and it's 1,200. (laughs) Yeah, amen. The guys that work out can eat that. I I can't. (laughs) I'll start showing the weight like that if I start eating like crazy. See, we assume wrong about calories oftentimes. Let me tell you something. If you don't know the God of the Bible, you'll start to assume, and oftentimes your assumptions can be wrong. How can you love a God you don't know? I'm serious, how can you walk with a Jesus you don't know? He wants you to love him with your mind. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his word. And I've been memorizing James chapter 1. Memorizing James chapter 1 has radically changed my life. Have you ever memorized scripture before? I'm serious, have you ever memorized scripture before? And I mean really, not just like John 3.16, I'm not going back there. Not just the Proverbs 3.5, have you ever said out? I'm telling you guys, I've heard about memorizing full chapters. But just recently in my walk with Jesus, I really set out to memorize James 1 with the group that's pouring into me right now. And it has changed my life. Let me ask you something. We're all memorizing stuff for school anyway. We're memorizing homework. We're memorizing for flashcards. What would happen if you started memorizing the word of God? I'll tell you what happens. When you get in the word, the word starts to get in you. And when the word gets in you, it changes you. Get the word in you and it'll start changing your thoughts. Here's what I've been doing. And this is so off. Anytime a thought pops into my head that I know is not from the Lord, and it's easy to tell, when a thought pops into my Lord I, into my head, I start quoting James. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging seed, being driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the humble brother, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation. For he is passing away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flowers fall off, its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one. (laughs) Make sure I'm not forgetting one. I love 112. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13. No one undergoing a trial should say I am being tempted by God. Why? God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Change my life. Wow, Daniel, this guy can quote James 1 to, 1 to 15. This guy's a super Christian. Nope. Nope. Wow, man, I, I saw somebody quote scripture. He must walk on water. Nope. I am the I am a sinner, I am broken, I have I was a terrible student in high school. If I told you my GPA right now, you'd laugh. <laughs> if I told you my GPA right now in high school, you would laugh. There's nothing spectacular about me except Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. Memorizing his word has radically changed my mind. You want to win some battles in your life? Memorize the word. Because here's what's crazy. You ready for this? This ain't none of this ain't in my notes. When that thought popped into my head, and I quote those 15 verses of James. By the time I get through those 15 verses, I forgot what that thought was anyway. I can't remember what it was anyway. That's how slow my mind is. You give me 15 verses and I'm going to forget what I was thinking about anyway. Look, 1.4. 1.4 GPA as a high school student. Slept through every class. No desire to succeed. Tell me something. If I can memorize scripture, you can I bet nobody in here was lower in their class. I wish I could take credit. I wish I could say, look at Daniel for it. I can't. I'm nobody. I'm literally nobody. But I know Jesus. And when you know Jesus Christ, you know the one who matters. What's stopping you from memorizing scripture? As lowly as I am, if I can do it, I promise you, you can do it too. And it will change your life. I'm telling you, it will change you from the inside out. And if you walk out of here saying, man, Daniel's so good for having all that memorized. You missed the point. I don't want you to look at me and what I can quote, look at Jesus. But when you look at me, look at someone who's broken, who God has changed and transformed and can do the same thing in you. All across the room. I want to ask you something. When you're falling in love with God, you'll study him. When you're falling in love with God, you'll ask questions about him. I'm serious. When you go out on a date and you start eyeballing somebody, all of a sudden, you become the best questionnaire they've ever seen. You start asking about art, because they're into art. <laughs> so how many different colors do you use? Do you use paintbrush? Do you start digitally and then move to the paint board? Like, you'll start asking questions. I've seen guys go on a date and come back an uh, expert at poetry.
1: <laughs>
0: PJ, you'll start... You'll start asking questions that you never thought you would Why? Because you're interested in that person. You want to pursue them, and you'll ask any questions you can to get to know them more. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you did that with God? For real. We pursue other people like we're trying to get a ring by spring, but we can't wake up and pursue the Lord and know him more. Bro, I'm asking myself the same question every morning. Why can I pursue things out in the world with so much grit and grind, but when it comes to my relationship with God, I'm expecting him to do all the work and revealing himself to me? He gave me the word, he came down in the form of Jesus. I can't wake up and spend time in his work. When you're falling in love with somebody, you will pursue them. You will know them. In order to love the true God, you have to know the true God. i got to tell you, in a world where everybody and their mom has a social media account, everybody in the world has an opinion, Feathers, everybody has an opinion. Listen, you need to know the truth of the word. Caleb. Just because somebody shares something on their Instagram story doesn't mean it's theologically correct. Can you believe it? Woo! Just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's true. Look, when I say something, go check it in scripture. God bless you. Just because you hear something catchy, something that sounds good, does not mean it's true. You got to put time into knowing the word. If not, you will be swayed by any false teaching that sounds good. You will. You'll be swayed. You won't know the difference to be able to discern what is true and what is real. I love Ephesians five fifteen. Moving very quickly here. Paul says, pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. You better pay careful attention because the enemy is. Cole, my God, Cole Gregory sent me a verse at lunch from 1 Peter chapter 5 that the devil is a roaring lion prowling around looking for prey. You better pay attention to how you're living because the devil is. The enemy is, he's trying to take you down. He's watching how you live. He's looking for strongholds. I got to keep going. I wish I could expand on that. I'll do another sermon on that in a couple weeks. It doesn't get any better than this when you talk about the mind. Romans 12, verse 2. Some of you could quote it. I love it. He says, do not be conformed. Underline that word, conformed. Paul says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed. See, even Paul... <laughs> Play on words. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Say renewing of your mind with me. Here we go. Renewing of your mind. Trying to see who didn't say it so I can call somebody out. (laughs) Renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. When it comes to your mind, you have two options. And I want you to write these down. I can't remember if they'll be on the screen or not. You will either A, your mind is conformed by the culture. Here's the first one. Two options with your mind. Either your mind is conformed by the culture, Rachel. Either it is shaped, twisted, and formed by Christian culture, by TikTok culture, by the world culture. Or B, straight from Scripture, what Paul says, your mind is transformed by Christ. You got two options with your mind. It's either conformed by the culture or it's transformed by the Christ. Lastly, he doesn't just say to mind, he ends with strength.
1: Yeah. So the final question is to write in your notes, do you love the Lord your God with all of your strength? So we've hit three really big topics. And the last one is strength. And for me, like the first thing that I think of is honestly just physical strength, you know, physical effort, something to do with me trying harder, um, I mean, the first thing you think of when you look at Dakota is strength, honestly, like he's big, he's been in the gym, you know, like that kind of stuff. But that's not what scripture necessarily is talking about here. Um, It's honestly so much more with the mental and the emotional, like the heart that we were talking about, all of the things in you that drive you to the world that you need to reel back in and point toward the Lord. Um, So I'm going to throw out another Hebrew word because I have been studying. I really have been. And so the Hebrew word for strength is muchness. I think that's the closest they could get was muchness. So I dug into that and it means the essence of your material wealth. It means your possessions. It means your time. um, It means the things that the external things about you and your resources in all of your muchness. So in other words, it's the fullness of everything that you have. It's considered to be your strength. So if you love the Lord your God with all of your strength, you'd be willing to dedicate any number of those things to him if he asked you for it, which is so cool. So I wrote down, it takes deep conviction and powerful belief to follow God in the midst of the world and its attacks. It's just deep. It's deep and it's hard. And so we demonstrate, Daniel talked last week about love in action, it made me so excited because I just love thinking about that, but we demonstrate or we act out our love for the Lord by taking action when he commands us to do something. Um, And so it's not just like a passive thing, I'll think about it, if it's a command, we we just have to take action. Um. And so I'm very literal, so I found another Bible story to help me understand this. This time it's in the New Testament. So if y'all want to turn to, it is Luke 18, 18, and it's very short. It's one of the shortest stories, parables in the Bible. It's not a parable. It really did happen. But there was this man, and scripture called it the rich young ruler. And I was like, look, what more could we want? To be rich, to be young, and to have some type of authority, to be authoritative. I mean, that's what this world wants now. Everyone wants to be rich, everyone wants to stay young, and everyone wants to have a platform. So it's a rich young ruler, and scripture um, says that he comes up to Jesus, and look, this man had it, but he wanted something else, and going back to what Daniel said before, you know, if you asked Jesus, if he came in a room, one question, what would it be? Well, this man had that opportunity, and he goes up to the Lord, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a great question. He was a smart guy. He wasn't like, how can I invest this money? Uh, how can I stay young? That kind of thing. He asked, what must I do? He was on the right track. And Jesus looks at him and says, verse 19, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And that's another story for another time. But he, he goes on. He says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And the guy, I'm feeling like he's probably glad to look at Jesus and be like, I've kept all these things. I'm good. So honestly, he's probably getting excited. He's like, oh, yeah, like check, check, check. Haven't murdered anyone. I've honored. Those things are hard to do anyway. Maybe not murdering people, but honoring your father and mother. (laughs) I mean, I hope. my gosh. But like honoring your father and mother is hard, you know. And so he said, I'm good. I'm good. And then Jesus follows this up. He says, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Right after that, 1822, Scripture says this guy became extremely sad. <laughs> Why? <laughs> right there, because he was extremely rich. That was where his strength lay, clearly. That was it for him. And so he just knew that he was being called to give up something that, to him, that was his muchness, if that makes sense. He decided he loved his material strengths or his muchness more than he loved God himself. And can I tell you, what did he miss out on? Some eternal life. It was something that he would never be able to take, that muchness Two. Eternity. Nothing. When he died, that wouldn't go anywhere. I mean, it's, it's obvious. But it said he walked away sad. And so when I was praying through this, I was like, all right, I get it. I get it. Where does this apply to me? Satan's number one motive for all of us is to prevent us from receiving eternal life. He has one goal and one goal only. That's to separate us from the Father. He was doing it at the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. And he's doing it to us today. So he'll do anything to block us from being motivated. Um, And he really, really, really doesn't want us to give everything we have. And Daniel says this all the time. Partial obedience is still disobedience. And so the thing is, is this man had check boxes, but he just had one he could not. He couldn't bring himself to do. So I wrote this down. I said, my love for God has got to be the strongest thing about me. It's got to be stronger than whatever whatever I think is my greatest strength here on earth. It might be very real, but it's got to be less than my love for God somehow. Loving God with all of our strength means we need to be giving up things that we need. And so this is the last thing I'll say. I remember I was like, Lord, I mean, I just graduated. I don't have too much of the, you know, financial muchness. I don't have a whole ton of strength. What is it? What is mine? I was like, I wonder if I really, I wonder if I'm okay. He goes, no, you're not you love sleep, (laughs) and I was like, oh, yeah, I do, and he goes, you need, and this was serious, this literally happened after New Year's, I don't really do New Year's resolutions, but he was like, you need to wake up every morning around 6 30, I've been trying, and I've been trying to pray, just pray for about 20 to 30 minutes before I do anything else, before I get ready to come to work, before I do anything. And when I tell you all I am struggling, like I I just feel like I was like, I'm not going to be able to make it through the day. I don't know why, but that's just how I work. And he goes, look, if you give this up, if you walk away sad like this young ruler did, if you're just like, no, I can't, not consistently anyway, you're going to lose battles for your soul, and you're going to lose battles later on in the day that come against you, the attack of the enemy later on in the day. You're going to lose because you just couldn't give that little bit of your muchness up to me. I would rather lose sleep than spiritual battles. I would, <laughs> because that hurts and that carries, that carries over into the future. So the strength of my love for God will determine whether or not I outlast the attacks of the enemy in my life. That's the strength. Um, and so I think the same is true for all of us. And this is really, its like Daniel says, this isn't in my notes, but the guy gets a specific word for him. So if you are going to ask the Lord to show you something, like it's not going to look like the person sitting next to you. This guy's weakness was money, or his his strength, which ended up being his weakness, was money. But there's going to be something. When you ask the Lord, what is it? What do I need to do to receive eternal life? If you're not a believer and you want to be saved, you're going to have to give up your life. If you're already a Christian, you're going to give up a whole lot more to receive eternal life and the powerful love of God that lets you stand in a fire and not be harmed, that kind of thing, um, so just be ready when you ask him to get specific, but don't be afraid to obey is my challenge, and that's my challenge for myself, so I've, I've done it, I've gotten up, and it has changed my life, it's changed my life, so, and to be fully honest, y'all, like I am an introvert at heart, and I really, really didn't like the thought of sitting up here and talking with y'all when Daniel asked me, but that became part of my 30-minute prayer time, and I'm telling you that changed my, I did not think about it this week, and fear, (laughs) because I love you guys, and honestly, because I knew I was acting in obedience to the Lord, Um, so it will change your life, and that's my prayer for all of us.